Welcome to the Old Dog New Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff West, and I'm going to spend some time talking about tech and looking at how the old dog ways really are all that old. I'm going to look at some integration ideas, discuss some successes and failures, and show you that it's really not about being perfect, but it's about being patient when it comes to integrating technology. I'm a high school educator, been teaching music band for most of my career, but I am a a big tech enthusiast, and I really enjoy uh, researching and finding answers and ways to integrate tech that don't take up so much time. Let's get going. Well, welcome to episode 14, How Do You Teach Self-Reflection? One of my words this year and last year uh, that I wanted to focus on in my teaching was reflection, uh, both for myself and my students. Uh, I I really think reflection is a powerful tool for enhancing learning, but if you're like me, where do you start? I mean, we've all been through so many different trainings and frameworks and uh, questioning techniques to engage learners and to get them moving and to get our content and our lesson flow. But I think that the piece that we're missing is getting the students to do some of this on their own, that getting the classroom to be student-driven and not teacher-driven. So where do you start? I have a few suggestions and methods of inquiry that might work for you. They have uh, proven pretty powerful for me, and I see uh, growth in my students, too. They have worked, uh, gotten me moving, and then I once I do something as a result of my initial reflection, then to reflect upon that and think about and assess what I've done, how did that work, how do I adapt it? And I have some questions that... Um, I found through some reading and through Twitter that I have started using. And at first, they had certain results, and now they are starting to show other results in my students as they're getting used to me asking them. So let's take a look. Reflection is often used at the end of a unit or project but offers, I think, greater opportunities at the start of the year or grading period or units or assignments. Perhaps it would be better to label a reflection as sort of a pre-assessment or a needs assessment or whatever you want to call it. Reflection happens in this activity. For the decades I uh, have been in education, there have been different approaches to student need assessment or reflection. Probably the biggest challenge is not the formation of the questions or choosing the methodology or the way you're going to ask them. It's the consistent review and the use of the data that the assessments or or reflections provide. I know this is a weakness of mine in some areas of my teaching. I'm pretty good at remembering and addressing the needs that I evaluate throughout rehearsal or classes, uh, be it learning styles or challenges. I was trained to do this. Um, It is teaching high school students to evaluate themselves that has always been a challenge, particularly in music. 
getting them to pay attention to what they're producing and how did it sound. And they can play a passage for me and then they put their instrument down and I'll say, okay, describe your use of dynamics, articulation, interpretation. And um, they struggle either through vocabulary or the fact that they really can't remember. They're just more focused on uh, well, possibly just the mechanics of just getting the notes out and not really were they playing musically. And, and that's problematic in, in the field of music. And I think it's problematic in any field. You know, you get them to just read uh, vocabulary words or state some dates and they're done. And have they really learned it? I don't know. I don't think so. Some students naturally um, evaluate themselves and others seem to be less aware of their capabilities or their growth or where they're at just at that point that, that you are uh, inquiring about, that you're asking them, hey, how was that? What do you think of that? Mostly because I don't think they've been challenged to look at their strengths and weaknesses or shown how this is done. I think they just still, many of them just view school as a place they come in and we tell them what to do and they do it and then they go home. Um, not finding perhaps a value in what we're telling them to do, but eventually through just sheer repetition, they start to behave in the ways that we're trying to teach them. Uh, when I say behave, I'm not just talking about, you know, listening and being respectful. I mean, remembering the things that we teach them in, in the content. And I think studies are pretty clear that that's not always the, the most enhanced high-level learning and thinking. Using technology uh, such as Google Forms or any other survey tool, you can collect the data. You can do the needs assessment or, or, or ask them to reflect. That's, that's really not what this podcast is about. Um, this a podcast is about whatever you use. Make sure that you review the questions and answers from time to time and see what your students are thinking. Ask them again if you do a beginning of the class, beginning of the year uh, assessment, survey. Ask them repeatedly again and see what their answers are. It can provide uh, a means for them to give input about the reflection as well uh, during the activity with open-ended questions like, what else should I know? Is there anything I might be missing? Um, at first, with my students, there was no, or I don't know, type of answers um, because they just wanted to move on. They, they thought, this is a checklist. I'd like to get through this activity. It's not very interesting to me. Um, or perhaps they felt that the results wouldn't be valued by me or by um, whoever would be seeing them. You know, you're just doing it for this once and then we'll never talk about this again. So, uh, but as I brought it back and asked the questions again, then they were ready for me. And that's, that's when it really got interesting. And um, I started learning uh, from them, not just about how I could be a better teacher, um, but about what, what they're thinking and what they want and how they're applying it. And sometimes that is some of the most illuminating data uh, that you get. 
because you don't think about how your students might be perceiving what you're presenting to them. So let's take a look at the questions. Because these questions I'm going to present to you are just a suggestion. But I think they're pretty... Well, first off, some of them are, are research-based, and I'll get into that in the next segment. But I think they're, they're excellent in the way they're worded and that they start to make students think about what they're concerned about, which is typically what they want, what, what, what is cool to them, what is fun. Um, but um, as I've found in my teaching, when, whenever I hear that, those words come up, I say, well, then you tell me what is, what, what, what would this look like? And they have trouble verbalizing that. And I think they learn when they're asked repeatedly and they need some time, like many of us do, to kind of soak that in and go, you know what, the next time they ask me, I know how I'm going to, what I'm going to say. Um, but at first it might, you might do this, ask some of these questions and might get you know, the old, I don't know, or, you know, grunts or whatever, uh, or maybe even silly answers or, you know, because they're still not quite sure they can trust um, you or um, that they feel comfortable sharing uh, those insights. But as they see how you use it, um, they'll become more comfortable. And as they see that you act upon them and you review them, um, you will start to get some incredible uh, answers. This this past year, I have been doing this uh, for be my second or third time. And the answers I'm starting to get, um, I have to pause sometimes to soak them in and think about them because they're just, they're awesome answers and they're great ideas and things I have never thought of. And that's 25, 27 years of teaching. Uh, and, and I think I'm a pretty creative person being a musician and uh, you know, I think creatively as as often as I can. And uh, now that my students are ready for me, um, it has been incredible. And I so I let's get to the questions. And uh, you can decide, you know, what you want to use. Maybe you want to reformat them. And um, we'll see how it works for you. This summer, I read a few books. And one of them was by Daniel Pink called When? The Scientific Secrets of Timing. I included the uh, book in the show notes, and I am just scraping, scratching lightly the surface of what this book offers. I highly recommend reading this. Uh, it's very interesting, and it's engaging. Uh, uh, you'll, you'll find out here as I go on. One of the engaging parts of the book dealt with getting a group in sync, and it studied the um, the workings of groups but through research and interviews and uh, uh opinion based upon different research that the author uh, Daniel Pink had done and, you know, started formulating some approaches of how to get there, what to do, you know, these are the things, you know, some suggestions. And that's just one chapter of one of the three parts. But at the end of each part, there was what the author called the time hackers handbook. And and the part that I'm going to talk about here that I took some questions from, um, they 
that was was uh, con- contained. Let me explain a little bit more. Contained additional questions and information of applying this research. So in part three, chapter six, the handbook Daniel Pink suggests the following questions be asked to keep your group in sync. So once you're there, and I'm assuming that, for instance, my bands are are there, that they're in sync. There is there are qualities that are there, but you know, as with young people and people from different backgrounds, you're always going to be in and out of sync and depending on the day and you know, all those other types of variables. But I I found these questions to be ones that can center us right back in very quickly. Um, so what I did is I used uh, these questions at the start of marching band season with my section leaders. And I'm overdue for a review because he suggests you do this weekly or, or at least monthly that you ask these questions again. And um, these questions come from research and interviews, as I said, that he had has done. Um, and it's, it's very motivating and inspiring to me as an educator uh, when I read his opinions, his research, not his research, the research that he um, uh, compiled and compared. And then, yes, he did do some research as well. But uh, then when you study that research, it leads you these questions. There, I finally got to it. Trying to say too much too fast. So you should really read the book if you want to know more. And again, it's in the show notes. Read the book. I I um, bought it through uh, Google Playbooks so that I could make notes in it. And really cool thing is that saved right to my drive. Uh, the notes that I made, very very cool. So, first question: Do we have a clear boss, whether it's a person or some external standard, who engenders respect, whose role is unambiguous, and to whom everyone can direct their initial focus? Now, I, I pose this to my section leaders because they will run some rehearsals helping their sections learn the music and memorize it and not just learn the notes and rests, although that tends to be the, the primary focus because that's what they're the, they have the most experience with, but also the uh, deeper performance characteristics such as dynamics, articulation, interpretation, um, musicianship, uh, you know, getting to being more, I guess, musical, to use the same word to describe. like That can, can be difficult to understand, but I think when you hear it, you know. And we talked about the fact that um, in, in uh, Daniel Pink's book, he, he um, mentions that no matter what, and this is through interviews and research as well, um, whether it's a person that's in charge or a standard or characteristic that is what we work to there has to be a clear boss um, this is the person that is the official runner of things and establishing that doesn't have to be a dictator type of rule um it can be in many ways, and I let my section leaders de- determine that, but I wanted to make sure that they understood that in becoming the central leader of the section, they also then have standards that they must demonstrate and model, and then their section will slowly but surely follow along um, 
understanding, especially if you state what those are. Here's what our section needs to be. Here's what we need to sound like. Um, so that's the first question for my section leaders, and I think you could use it. You decide. Listen to the questions. You decide how you want to use it. Number two, are we fostering a sense of belonging that enriches individual identity, deepens affiliation, and allows everyone to synchronize to the tribe or to the group? Are we fostering a sense of belonging that allows everyone to synchronize to the group or tribe? I think that one's probably a question I have heard more in the past five years as far as belonging and everyone being happy and <clears throat> safe and respected. And I think sometimes perhaps it's misinterpreted to mean that you give in. Um, but I think that leads back to that first question. Is there a boss? Is there a standard? Those two together kind of work to help with the synchronization a bit, I think. My thoughts. These are my thoughts. And the third question, just three in this one, are we activating the uplift? In his book, he talks about feeling good and doing good. Daniel Pink. And that is necessary for a group to succeed. So the question itself is, are we activating the uplift that is ne necessary for a group to succeed? Feeling good and doing good. He, he speaks about that there are, uh, these two feelings have to happen at the same time. They have to be, um, I'm not so sure they would have to be equal. I think they would be fluctuating. But it, this question struck me. And when I spoke with my section leaders and drum majors about this, um, they agreed, uh, and brought it up almost without me saying it, that we often shoot for the feeling good in social media, in, um, um, in just daily life, that the examples that our kids see are about people doing things that they want to do because it makes them feel good or gives them some sort of positive vibe. But in order for the group to be successful, You have to do good. And hopefully those two can, you know, you do good, you feel good. You know, it's back and forth on that. But sometimes because of the individualization, I guess, is a way to put it, that smartphones have, and tablets and so forth and social uh, apps, media, however you want to characterize those things, have brought, they're much more individual. You, you... You get this feeling of it's just about you and your world. You're really not affecting anyone else or it doesn't have any long-term effects. And I'm sure we can all state a story about someone's posts that come back to haunt them later or, um, you know, supporting a particular feeling that might be bullying or something on uh, online. Uh, you know, that's that. I don't know. I, I don't know how you feel good out of that, but uh, but it's not doing good and it definitely doesn't help the group succeed. So are we fostering that? I think that high school students are capable of doing good at an exceptionally high level. They have this energy and the youth, I think, is inspiring to those around them, those, those of us who are older. Um, when you watch them get together and work and 
and solve problems. It's it. Uh, I don't know how you don't feel good. You know, when you see that, uh, whether you're teaching them or not, you just sit and watch a, a football team that does well or uh, um, any other type of team or group. And you can tell when you look at them, they just like doing what they're doing and they like each other. And it's just a, a positive back and forth of the feeling good because you're doing good and the group is succeeding. In most cases, I, I, I can't think of a time where a group failed because they had that balance. But that's a, those are great questions. Those three questions, um, I pose toward my, toward my uh, leaders and I'm going to review that with them here very shortly. And then I think probably when we get done with marching season here, we go into concert season and I have other classes that are working together in a group. I'm going to pose these questions to to the kids and, and have a discussion with them, maybe 10 minutes or so, or, um, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. You know, if it, if sometimes these things really take off, and you you should you should do more with it uh, in developing these the kids' leadership. Uh, because for me, I want them to be good musicians. But boy, that leadership skill—if they can develop that—that's uh, that takes precedent for me. I, I can get them to the music part if I can also get the leadership part moving, and the collaborating and working. I'd, that's just uh, that's. Very important. All right. Next questions. George Kuros, uh, I found, I follow on Twitter and from a tweet which led to his blog post uh, of five questions to ask at the start of the year or start of a grading period or our class. You know, the first time that you see the kids, getting them to answer five questions. What are the qualities you look for in a teacher? What are you passionate about? What is one big question you have for the year or grading period or class? What are your strengths and how do we utilize them? What does success at the end of the year slash class look like to you? I included a link in the show notes to this blog post. Uh, I it's an excellent blog. You, you should read through it. I I keep I reread it because myself I need this practice at reflection and thinking about questions on on this type of open end. We don't. I don't think we do this as much in education as we should. And some of that is test driven because you know time time's an issue. Something's got to go. You don't often have the time for the open-ended large discussions with your classes. Um, but this can definitely start that and then review that that data and maybe utilize it in a lesson. Maybe come back and have an individual conversation with a student. Um, build that relationship. You know, maybe as you're going forward, a student starts to struggle a little bit or you notice some sort of negative change in their behavior and so forth. You know, having that information at your fingertips can help you develop that relationship. And um, I have used it in that manner. I have also used it to formulate uh, different approaches to my teaching, uh, different strategies to teaching. You should know, though, probably at first, um, they might be a little hesitant. They may not feel comfortable in sharing. Uh, 
even though I made sure that they knew I would keep it secret. Um, but as I have done this, this will be my second or third year doing it with all of my classes. I'm noticing that I'm getting a little deeper answer and a little more serious answer. Um, and when, you know, when I get the joking answer, I, I usually will at some point have a chance to talk to that student and, and I'll just ask them right to their face the same thing, same question. I'd really like to know because you seem whatever. You seem very focused on this aspect or these things. And I'd like to know what you think about this or what, you know, what can I do better here? What can we, what can we do to, to move along? What would you like to see? Um, could be a variety of reasons a student does that. Anything from not trusting to not caring to uh, not feeling their answers are valued. Any of those are just bad, in my opinion. And, but it happens, and kids feel that way. It could be the day. Who knows? But with high school kids, they need the practice at reflecting. They need to be to have it modeled, because I will often answer those questions right in front of them before. Mm, I think I did it before once, and then I realized I really wanted them to answer first and then hear my answers. So I've tried it both ways, I guess. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, I, I'm sure that you can find other ways um, to use the answers to enhance the learning that's going on in your classroom. I think the important thing is to get the students thinking on this level. Uh, past education practices focused on the teacher-driven classrooms where we were just delivering and they're just sitting and getting. And now with technology and really just the change in teaching strategies and curriculums, student-driven classrooms are um, are becoming more popular, not only because uh, gets the students more engaged, but research is, is showing that student achievement is improving when students take that ownership, which is something I think we've always known and we've always tried to do. But I think it's been on different levels. And now with tech, you can collect that data and, and keep it. Everyone could hand out the same survey, could share it with everyone just to do so. It's nothing that someone has to make up on their own, unless you want to change the questions, unless you do some reading and research and you want to add some things or, um, you know, change the wording a little bit so it doesn't say year to class, something even that simple, um, much more capable. And I have to say, as the teacher asking my students to reflect, uh, particularly with uh, the Daniel Pink questions, when I, did, you know, talked with them a little bit about the book that I read, uh, and about group dynamics and getting in sync. And as I was mentioning things, uh, you know, they were with me. Uh, and it was really, um, again, inspiring to me to teach harder, to teach, to work harder. Uh, once I started having a conversation with them and getting the return from them, uh, as a teacher, it, it motivated me, it inspired me. And I think it's going to do the same for you because I I know from time to time because we're so busy and perhaps our students may have different attitudes that we don't, you know, always think that they're caring 
but they are. They're there, but it's they don't know how to communicate. They don't. Uh, uh, many of them, some of them do, but many of them just don't know how to. And so, when you get them reflecting and you start these discussions, you're starting, you're teaching them that communication skill that every subject needs. My music, we we gotta have we gotta have some communication. If you want to stop getting the I don't know, uh, you know, grunts and so forth, I th- I think they're probably feeling it, but they don't know if it's the right way to communicate it. If you know, how do they say it so that they're comfortable? How do they say they're not comfortable? I'm not comfortable giving this answer. That type of thing. That starts with these types of questions, in my opinion. Well, all right, that brings us to the tech treat, which uh, may not be all that exciting to you, but hey, treat's a treat. Don't get picky. All right. Use Google Forms if you're not already. I think I know there are other survey options out there. I just have tried several, and I keep coming back to Forms. Use that to put these questions in and then collect the data, then you can work with the data. However, if you are interested in using these questions, say to do some sort of writing um, assignment, then a Google Doc might be the way to go. In most LMSs, or if you're using Google Classroom, you can definitely do this. You know, you can you can assign from your Google Drive so that every student gets a copy and then they turn it into you and then you'll have a copy of that. If you use forms, you can flip through the form. Um, within the forms responses tab, you can click individual and then click through by student name. Be sure to require that they uh, include their name unless you want it anonymous, which is fine. Uh, if you, you know, If you think that would kind of grease the skids and get things moving quicker. Um, but I think at some point, knowing exactly who says what is going to be more valuable to you in the long run as the teacher. But you could use a Google Doc and have them submit that and um, and share it back to you and just let them know nobody else is going to see it except me. And and like I say, you could even probably respond in comments in most of the LMSs or send them a note if you want to. But I, I, um, like I said, for me, it really worked wonders uh, to talk to with kids, particularly the ones that were a little more introverted, um, because in my years of working and talking to introverted students, introverts, uh, questioning them over and over about the different things they like to do wasn't always the most uh, productive way of increasing or improving a relationship with them. So, you know, you see them standing over side and you saw that they are particularly passionate about working with clay or something, you know, they like to bowl something. You can, you can go over, and, you know, you don't have to broadcast it and and uh, just ask them about that. Um, a lot of times, boy, when I when I once I take that data from Google Forms, and it's so easy to find, I also keep the same form and create a new sheet, wipe it out the next year because it's probably a different class. So that's your treat. I hope you use it, and I hope this episode a long one. I promise the next one is short. The next one is about a uh, extension, one extension, and an app. Um, that you're one you're familiar with and one you're probably not 
And uh, it's going to be a short one because I know this one was long, but um, I think these questions are uh, just paramount. There's your word for the day, paramount. Two, and, and you know, enhancing learning and uh, starting that that communication process back and forth. Um, when you review those questions and speak to them with your students and then review them off and on to see how the answers have changed week to week, month to month. Uh, I think that models for them the communication that you want to see in your class work from them, They're the content. If you want to have a discussion in class, having a discussion about this reflection, models for them what you would expect. And uh, I think you're going to see some changes. I know I have. I hope this uh, helps you. Give me a review in iTunes. Drop me an email if you disagree with me and say, oh, come on. But uh, definitely check out the two authors I put in the show notes. Awesome stuff. Take care. This has been the Old Dog New Tech Podcast with your host, Jeff West. I hope you enjoyed your time. And remember, with EdTech integration, it's about being patient and not perfect. <laughs>